Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Welcome to the Backstory Podcast. I'm your host, Colby Cole, and we are on the Fantastic Voyage. And what's great about the Fantastic Voyage is that it's really a homecoming for, for our folk. We come together, we meet, we hang out, and then we bring all of the artists and the entertainers that have you know been a part of our lives and they just kind of walk past you and you get a chance to take pictures and talk and uh mm-hmm. today's guest is someone who is good on any martin luther king boulevard in america someone who <laughs> everybody knows and is a part of our lives mr ralph tresvant from new edition solo artist and in all transparency we are working together on his new radio show love and r&b so let's give a round of applause for ralph Thank you, everybody. I've never heard that before on any Martin Luther King Boulevard, huh? All that's right. just when you're good in the, in the black community, you know, anywhere you go, they know you. Yeah, that's, that's a great description, though. I've never, I've never thought of it like that. That's yeah. pretty cool. You know, I've been pumping up the Kobe Cove show since I got on the air, man. <laughs> now as I put the face and I put everything together as I'm getting used to the family and everything, it's just a beautiful thing to be here with you, man. So thanks for having me. I think you are a very unique individual in the group that you're a part of and the history that you all have made. Uh, You came along in 1983 and you guys were just some poor kids in Roxbury just trying to figure out how to make it through life. And all of a sudden you're thrust upon the country. And that was uh, Michael Jackson thriller time, right? So like you guys were in the midst of that, you come out with a song And it really dramatically changes your life. And here we are 40 years later and, you know, you've developed a whole career. So let's talk a little bit about them early days, man. I mean, that that must have been an interesting time to have a hit record at such a young age. And you being the lead singer, Mm -hmm. that must have just dramatically just altered your life. It did. It was everything changed. It didn't feel like it was really like overnight. You know, a lot of things that were happening we were still living in the projects. We were still going to school. We were still dressing in our same old raggedy clothes. We was doing videos in our clothes that we had at home. So a lot didn't change until, you know, a few years later after Candy Girl really started taking off and we got work on the road and stuff like that. So initially, we just started hearing it on the radio and we knew that we was, we was you know, we was doing some of the things that we saw some of the artists we grew up listening to. We said, man, we're coming. We're on the radio. They're offering us to do local TV shows and we're going back and forth to New York, playing all the clubs and stuff like that. So we knew things was turning around, but financially is what we was waiting for. Like, when do we get to that part so we can get our moms and our pops and our sisters and, you know, get out the projects? So, uh, but but initially the, the takeoff was real. We was hearing about the charts and they would tell us stuff like, you know, you guys just bumped uh, Michael Jackson's Beat It out of the number one slide. You know, what does that mean? You know, it felt good. We said, well, that must be important, but we didn't know what the billboard charts was. We didn't know any of that, man. We just little cats trying to do something that we, we saw everybody else doing that we loved, you know, especially the Jacksons, the Temptations, and a lot of the, a lot of the Motown stuff. We were, re- we were just replicating what we saw those guys doing. And you're doing it from our perspective for what was going on in the streets at the time with the pop lock and rapping was coming into the game. So we was incorporating a lot of just what was going on in the hood at the time into what we saw the people doing on TV at the time. So that's what New Edition was like a merge of, you know, the Jacksons, the Temps, Motown Sound, and, and the streets. 
So you guys release your first song, Candy Girl. Mm. You really just had like, I mean, that first album. I, again, I, we're the same age, so like you know, we're I was in high school, and I just remember like every girl was a New Edition fan, mm. and it was different because again, we were in the Michael Jackson era, but you guys really tapped into something. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting about it was you just developed like a we just didn't I guess for our parents had Jack the Jackson 5 and I guess that's why you guys were sort of created the new edition was was the new Jackson 5 but y'all tapped into our energy it it must have been mind blowing just the teenage energy and the fans because you were teenagers and then you know it's one thing to be a teenage guy and it's like man I want to I want to meet a girl but you can meet any girl. Like, it was any girl in any city you would connect with. We like, was running from the girls, right? Yeah. I mean, they was, chasing, just, they was chasing us around the city and yeah. stuff. After. That's when we really knew it was going down. Yeah. Well, let me fin- let me let you finish your question. Or was that it? No, that, I, I was just... It's, listen, I'm fascinated with any artist, and I talk to all the artists about it, about initial fame and yes. these moments that just, just have to be sort of mind-blowing to just experience... Because, again, I'm speaking from a teenage guy, and I'm looking at every girl in my school. They got a new edition button on their mm. shirt. They got it on their books. Like, you come to town, and you shut the city down. You guys are just, like, you know, rock stars overnight. Initially, again, you don't feel all of that from my perspective. It's work, 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 work. We're in these places till wee hours in the morning in clubs, and we're in the car. Back then, a van, all of us packed in there together. You was going from... Boston to New York on Friday. We would, after school, we'd drive up there in a van. We would stay the whole weekend. Monday morning, we would we would drive home and get dropped off at our prospective schools. Um, you know, so it, to us, we it was still a work thing in progress. We couldn't feel it from that. The first time I really felt the impact of New Edition, every year in Boston, there's this thing called the Kite Festival. And we'd go every year and fly kites and hang out and eat, you know what I'm talking about, Joey. We, we'd eat barbecue, you know, it was a family type affair. And this one year we decided to go uh, after Candy Girl had been released and we were walking like we normally do because we would always hang out together the same way. We practiced in Boston. We was already a group in Boston, but that impact hadn't been made like that. So we were walking through the kite festival and as we were walking, we just kept turning around and noticing that this crowd was gathering behind us. And it got bigger and bigger, you know, as we're getting into the park, good. We get right in the center, or pretty much in the center, and we looked around, and somebody said, that is them. And all heck broke loose, man. We had to, we, I saw Bobby get snatched by one of the security, because we had our own little security back then. We was moving like we was already the Jacksons yeah. back then. <laughs> somebody snatched him this way, he was hiding behind a tree, and I'm trying to ride by and find me a hiding spot. Somebody finally grabbed me. And Jody said, and she told me the story yesterday that I had ran by her grandma's house or something, but I remember the street back there we had to cross over, I forget what that street was called, Columbia Road or something like that. And we come across the street, and I'm behind somebody's car, and I can see all of the girls just running by, still screaming, trying to find us for real. And that was the first time I was like, okay, things are changing. We're not going to be able to walk around and do all of the normal things we used to do, which was a big part of my life. I just loved that independence. And I didn't realize that was about to be snatched away. The second time, and this is when it really got crazy, is when I was at school. I went to school. I went to South Boston High. And while I was in school, they rung the bell to switch classes, to go to the next class. And I got up to go to the class. 
And almost the same kind of thing was happening. I was walking and I was noticing people, you know, the girls were starting to follow behind me. And so I'm trying to pick up my pace and then their pace is picking up with me. And I start realizing I better she can do a little slight jog so I can get to the thing. They start <laughs> lightly jogging with me. I turned a full sprint and they full sprinted after me and I could feel them grabbing my clothes wow. and trying to get at me. So I had to run into no the security. auditorium. None. It's just me in school trying to get to the next joint. And none of the other guys went to the school with me. So I end up in the school uh, theater, the auditorium, and I was on top of a speaker, just looking down at everybody, and the speaker's rocking, and the principals, and everybody's trying to come in school and figure out how to get this situation under control. And it wasn't getting under control. Next thing you know, I come tumbling down off this speaker, and you know, I had an afro back then. Somebody got a lock on my head like this and tore a piece of my hair out. And that's when my mother lost it. She was like, I don't know what all this is about. And she came up to the school and they had, <laughs> and they, and yeah, she came up there and made a uh, fuss. They ended up having me, they gave me my own bell. So there was the get ready bell, there was the Ralph Trez Van Fowl bell, and then the rest of the school file bell. <laughs> so wow. that's how I moved around until I actually had a security that sat in school with me. And then they didn't, they just ran all over him after a while. So I ended up going to the bank of, I think it was the Shaman, I forgot the name of the bank, but Alan Heyman is one of my promoters who helped put us out. He, um, he was banking at this bank and I had to, I had to leave school and I think it was the 10th grade, coming out of ninth grade, going into the 10th grade, I left school and I was being schooled in the bottom of a bank where all the, where the vaults was, with a tutor. And that's, that's when, um, that's when I knew it was changing. You know, our life was getting, was never going to be the same at that point. So Candy Girl was massive. Mm-hmm. And then you guys release your album and you have Is This The End? Right. And, you know, did you feel like did you did y'all sense that we about to be like we was going we're going to be you know, it's one thing to put a record out. But it's another thing when you have a big song and you have Is This The End and then you have Jealous Girl. Y'all remember Jealous Girl? Mm-hmm. I mean, all these songs, we can sing all the lyrics. We all know them because we were just so humbled and proud that we had a, a group of our age range that mm-hmm. was just making making noise right. while Michael Jackson was making history with Thriller. Right. We were just we still felt like it could end any day. You know, we had that kind of pressure behind mm-hmm. us. We were all still living in the projects. Nobody had gotten anything. We felt we could feel the impact. We're starting to, I guess, now do like Soul Train and stuff like that. That when we what sit- was that like Soul Train? So you watch you watch it every weekend. So like, yes. now you on Soul Train. What was that like? Well, before we was doing it, Bobby, that was one of the things that kind of got me in the group. Bobby's like, man, you know, we could be on Soul Train. We can you know one day we're gonna be on. He was talking all that mess. We like, man, all right, Soul Train, you know. <laughs> But um, it became a reality, you know. So once we got on Soul Train, we started feeling like, okay, we might actually be doing something out here now, you know. That was our first really big show. That, um, Don kind of sprinkled us across America uh, at the same time. You know, that's the first time they all got to see us do our thing live, you know, at the same time. We were, up until then, it was the videos. And us trying to go to every nook and cranny to try to visit radio stations and mom and pop stores, record stores doing uh, autograph sessions. We used to do a lot of going to schools and performing in in, uh, different um, elementary schools and middle schools. So that was the first big big impact. That was our big thing. We felt like when we was in the projects talking about making it, that was one of the things that was on the list. We do this, we're making it. So yeah, that was a part of the measure of success for us. McDonald's is not new to chicken. 
So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. So the first album was a massive success. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you guys were, you know, you were stars. Uh, but is it true that they gave you a VCR and a couple of dollars, and and y'all thought that was like that that was it right then and there? Like, was is that is that a true story? Not only is that a true story, but they actually tried to do a recall on the truck that was delivering those. They was trying to take the VCRs back. Wow, Ain't that crazy? So they gave us well, we signed. They gave me they gave me a thousand dollars, and they gave the rest of the guys five hundred dollars, and then they gave us all Christmas. Uh, they were sending. They had sent um, a truckload off of VCRs. There was the big ones with the the, the remote was still connected to it. It was yeah, that was the beginning of VCR. So yeah, yeah. So was it wasn't the, the it wasn't the that. yeah way to, where you could walk around the room with the remote. You had to be right in front of it to make it work. But yeah, they came to the house. My mother and them snatched it up. I never really got to use it. Pops and mom put that in their room. <laughs> <laughs> But I heard the story later on that man, they was actually trying to take those back. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't want to wow. give us nothing. You know? Yeah, they was trying to take the VCRs back, man. So you go from the first album to the second album. Mm-hmm. You're still living in the projects. Yeah. Were you um, aware, like many artists, but you were kids, that weirdness between the first and the second album? Can we do this again? Was there a lot of pressure, or did you guys know that? Oh man, this second album was going to be a monster too. Yeah, there was still the weirdness. It was awkward, especially for me because it was like almost overnight, the voice that I had on the Candy Girl album just disappeared, and it felt like I could keep it moving, and I was. I was keeping that pitch the same. We was doing records in the same key, all of that high stuff that I was doing back then. Seemed to. I remember we went to Germany. We left from Florida. It was a big concert with like the whispers, a bunch of people we really grew up loving. And my grandmother was chaperoning us. Wow. And she she came over to London with us. Um, we were in Germany. She came to Germany with us. And we got to Germany, and it's like I left my voice in Florida. I got off that plane, and we was in there trying to sing Candy Girl, and this, this, then. And I was tore up, man. I was so embarrassed, and I felt like, oh, my God, well, what am I going to do now? What are we going to do now? And I'm in there trying to sing it in falsetto, and I'll never forget, because not that long ago, I thought it was buried and gone, and somebody pulled up on YouTube somehow. There's a clip of somebody over in England who had this, me trying to sing these songs in my falsetto. Wow. And it sounded horrible, at least to me. I, you know, we got away. This was on TV, too. It's probably why we wasn't invited back to Germany. <laughs> but we came back to the States, and I could never hit those same notes again. So I started going into who I, was, who I looked up to. I went into the catalog of Michael and, all of, and some of the other artists that started young, Frankie Lyman and Tina, you know, those guys that was doing it back then. I was looking at how did they make that transition. And once I started, before we actually went into the studio to start working on another album, we had to bring some of the keys down. We had to drop the stuff off just for live performances. 
And I, that's where I got used to singing in the new in the cool it now tone and the count me out album tone. Yeah. Tell, you know, left the candy girl guy behind and started getting used to that. So I felt like long as I can do what I'm doing right now, we should be okay. Now, whether it's going to be a hit or not, who knows? You know, that was always just record driven. But once we started hearing the records, we started spreading the, the duties out amongst other members in the group a little bit more, which was always our intention to have more of a temptation vocally and everybody participating than it was just having like a lead singer like Michael and, and then the other guys with supporting um, vocalists. We were always supposed to have a role. Like that's how we used to practice in the projects. So when we started doing the, the Cooling Now album, that was our intentions, to spread it out. So I felt like if we can start turning it up a little bit, showing other people's vocal vibes and skills, that could add to the success of, you know, just giving somebody, giving everybody something, uh, like feeling like it was new. It wasn't a repeat of the Candy Girl album. Had some of that element with something new too. I felt like we could do it. So at that point, yeah, it wasn't like we, it was a given, but I felt like, okay, I think we can pull this off. Mm -hmm. So you also are kids that all grew up together in the same place. And so fame has a way of, uh, you know, uh, changing folks. And then you, as a young person, you lose one of the members of your group mm -hmm. um, very publicly who decides and he's going to go solo. Mm -hmm. um, how did you, I mean, the movie kind of showed a little bit about, you know, what led up to it and, you know, but from a personal perspective, I mean, Bobby was your friend. So mm -hmm. what was that like? Because y'all was just some kids from Roxbury at the end of the day. Well, I went to him, I bounced for Bobby. When he first was going to go, he said he really wanted to do it. I guess Louis Silas or Gerald Busby or something up at MCA at the time, may both of them rest in heaven, had stepped to him, you know, because they saw what was going on. He was having problems. He wasn't showing up to shows like, like Solid Gold, and we were supposed to be performing as a group, and he would just be in the hotel room like, man, y'all go, we can't, I, I, whatever he was doing that night, you know, Bob, Wild Bobby, we already know what he was probably doing, but he was too tired to make all of the... You know, wasn't keeping up, so the group members was really pressing them. Like, B, you got to get it together, man, or we got to do something else. You're going to kill the image. We out here with this bubblegum image, and, you know, you're going to mess up some of the sponsors and the things that we could actually, uh, you know, have on our side, we're not going to have access to because of how you're moving. So that started becoming a lot of the talk behind the scenes with him. It's like, you got to straighten this out, man, or we can't, we got to figure this out another way. So he actually came to me one day and said, man, you know, I think I'm going to do my own thing. And... I mean, I didn't know how to think, feel about it at the time. I was like, man, you know, that could mess up the dynamic of the group. We just get started, you know. But he, um, he was adamant about it. And then at one point, when the group was like, no, because what had happened from sorry, the group was already voting. We gonna put him out. We can't take this no more. It's not going down. We putting Bobby out the group. So um, got word to Bobby, and then he actually came to me, and I was like. I, that's when I asked him, I said, man, you, you sure this, you, this is what you want? Because if, if you want me to push the envelope, I'll push the issue. I was at least saying I had a little bit more weight behind the scenes. Like, man, listen, I'm not going to do it if we're going to break the group up like this, man. You know, we're just going to shut it all the way down. But he was like, no, nah, man, I'm good. I'm going to go for this. And that's when we let it go. We tried to figure out how to do it with the, with the four of us and um, figure it out from there, you know? So... Yeah, he releases uh, his first solo album, which just did okay. And then mm -hmm. let's fast forward to 88, which was, um, you know, every artist, you know, dies for like a classic album, like that one album, like, you know, man, for the rest of my life, like, 
people are gonna always go back to that album. Yeah. And you all go in the studio and put together any heartbreak, which is one of the greatest R and B albums ever. I mean, timeless to this day. Thanks, Cole. I mean, that's a real. Come on, can we? Did any heartbreak? Y'all know nothing about that. Any heartbreak? What? <laughs> but. I always felt it was just a, you know, I, I was ascending in radio at that time, so I was just getting started while you guys were, we were all the same age, so we're like going along in our lives. Mm -hmm. Any heartbreak, what was special was in that moment, Bobby had put his solo album, Don't Be Cruel, which was just phenomenal. I mean, that was just an unprecedented moment in, in history. Yeah. Yeah. But you guys end up putting any heartbreak out and you come with If It Isn't Love. Mm -hmm. And that was really the perfect song to set an album off. The video was so simplistic. Mm -hmm. You guys just literally, one video kind of encompassing all of your struggle in that moment, trying to do the dance for that song. But talk a little bit about the, put, the putting together that album. You add Johnny Gill to the group and putting together the Any Heartbreak and what the energy was in that moment. There was a lot going on right around that time period, man, for the group. We didn't know what was going on. Again, we were trying to figure it out. Um, so we had been moving with the four of us, trying to figure out how do we transition ourselves, put it that way, into these men that we have become, but we were still being known as these little boys, that the yeah. candy girls. So we're not there. I don't know if we ever was that candy as candy boys. We were coming from the bricks. We had a whole other way of, you know, our life behind the scene was a lot different from what we had to portray in public. But some of the stuff with Bobby, some of the stuff eventually with BBD, you know, they, have, they was able to get some of that out, which allowed people to see us from different perspectives. But none of that was happening before we were able to do the heartbreak, right? It was around the same time. So we were trying to figure out how do we grow up in front of the world and, and have them accept that. And so one of the big things was Johnny Gill. When, that wasn't my thing. When Johnny came in the group, and I think the movie expressed it. He came in the group to replace me. And that was via Ricky, Ronnie, and, and, and Michael. They was trying to find some way to add another member to the group. And I had no idea what they were doing at the time because we were going through something. And they were trying to bring in another member to replace me. So when I ended up finding that out, Johnny was being, he was already being, had been flown to Minneapolis. So we're down there trying to cut the Heartbreak album or talk about the, what we wanted to do for the album and that whole thing. And Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis can just, they can just sense the tension. You know, they can feel something wasn't right. Something's going on in here. What's happening? So one day they just stopped the whole powwow and said, listen, we got to go talk. So we all get in the room and they say, everything all right? You know, what's going on in here? And I was like, no, everything's not all right. I don't know why this man is even here. Then I know an idea. And he stopped and said, y'all didn't tell Ralph that y'all was bringing Johnny in the group? And that's when the whole thing kind of, you know, the group was almost breaking up right around that time. At the same time, trying to grow up, you know? And so with us being in the studio like that, I think that was a part of the growth because me and Johnny became best friends during that right there. When he heard that, he didn't know. So we got together after that day of being at flight time and sat in the hotel room all day long, I mean all night long, just talking and rapping about what was going on. And he felt some kind of way himself that that's what he was coming into. But he was a huge part of the sound that we needed to grow up. That was the key to us being accepted as men. 
And it's ironic because Jimmy Jam and him put it together already before we even saw it. And that's why he was the, the only song he um, sung fully lead was the Boys to Men. And it was the song to grow us up, you know, within the record. But the album itself, just coming to terms with who we were as men, having to understand everybody's perspectives differently than we used to as little kids. We were learning how to be... Um, we were learning how to be amongst each other because it kind of was, it was kind of separating. That was the first time that we learned how, well, I learned how Mike thought and what he really thought about me or, and so on. We go down the whole group and um, how Ricky felt about this and that. And we were merging these things that we had never talked about as little kids. You know, we were kids at the time, so we never talked about things on that level. That album was the album that allowed us to grow as a team, as a group. And at that point, we had never been that tight, you know? Something about when we first came in the group, me as the lead singer was never supposed to be the plan, you know? So that whole first album, we going into the studios, we're going into do anything we went to do, it was always based around me and you could feel it. I had them like pushed to the side right at the gate, you know? You ever seen that Fruit of Loom commercial when it was like, it shows a lot of Apple? Yeah. <laughs> Every time we saw a video played back or something, that's what it felt like in the room for me. It's like, that shows a lot of Ralph. Like, where are we? I got parts too. Where's my face? And, you know, so I was always battling. I literally, let me go back a couple of albums because this had been happening this long ago, that far back, is I sat in a hotel room one day and was trying to figure out how do we get everybody else involved, get everybody else known. And that's how I wrote Ronnie, Bobby, Ricky, and Mike. I love the girl who cares who you like. I'm just writing rhymes and writing parts and telling the producers, you got to get these guys lines. They sing too. We're all, you know, I don't want to be the only one that you you keep putting on these records. But every time we went to do a new record, that's all a record company wanted, what sold last time. That's what worked. That's what we made money off. We want to do the same thing here at this label with this record. It's like, but that's not the group, man. You're breaking us up. So by the time we got to the Heartbreak album, go back forward, that's all of that stuff we were trying to fight through and break down as we went into that project. And Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, bless their hearts, man. They pulled it off. They helped us, they helped us become men in front of everybody's eyes, man. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. So any heartbreak was sort of a, it doesn't normally happen like that, where you ascend three or four albums into like a great classic album, but you guys end up doing this monster tour with you, Bobby Brown, and then I'll be sure that that year, because you all were like, I mean, that's all it was. We were playing on the radio at that time, but you headlined that tour. And I thought that that was like, in that moment, I was like, okay, yeah, Bobby had his moment. But you guys end up coming with this album that changed the game. I mean, if it isn't love, you're not my kind of girl, you know, any heartbreak with the rhyming and that video you all did. Right. Boys to Men is one of my 
I have like a top ten list of songs. Mm-hmm. That song is is in my top ten list wow. of all time favorite songs. I just feel like it, it's wow. just such a beautiful song and such a powerful song. And again, I'm I'm like four or five songs into an album. You, you today you can't even do that. There's not albums you listen to today where you can, <laughs> you can Sorry, name man. four or five songs. So then you guys tour all over the country, massive tour. That must have been a nice redemption for you because what you just talked about mm-hmm. almost felt like the group was over. Like if if any other, if I'd have closed my eyes and didn't know about any heartbreak, I would mm-hmm. think, oh, that's it. You know, it's a wrap. Yeah, it could have been. It could have been. Could have went either way at that point, but you know. I think us coming from, we were friends first. So we wanted to work it out. We wanted to see everything continue. We didn't want it to fall apart. We did know, uh, we also knew, we also, we also knew the fan base and they love New Edition and what we were starting to mean to the culture. And we didn't want that to go away. We wanted to continue just, we, we really had dreams and aspirations of being like the Jacksons and the Temptations and some of the groups that hung around for like Ron Isley out here and Stevie Wonder out here on the boat right now still killing it, you know? Yeah. That's how we saw ourselves. Like we wanted that kind of long longevity so it was in our hearts to make it make it work somehow we just didn't know how you know you come in here this game will pull you apart in all kinds of ways they offer you all kind of things they was offering me six and seven million dollars over at disney and this is money we've never heard before you know they, i could have easily left the group and the same thing was happening with the other members you know pulling them left and right to try to you got to do your own thing man you should be out there now you, people know who you are you got to take advantage of that so you know, when you got all of that going on and you know, it might be over tomorrow. Sometimes they might be, that might be some valid points. You know, this could all stop tomorrow because it has happened. It happens a lot. It's very rare you have those long, long careers that we're dreaming about. So, we, you know, we're taking all of this stuff in and trying to figure out what is the best course of action to take. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, we ended up taking the course of action that became New Edition's own staple. We, um, we said, let's do it all. Let's do No Edition, let's do Bobby, let's do BBD, let's do Ralph Tresvan, let's, and let's stay a team as well. So when we started figuring it out from that point, we can do something nobody's ever done and do it big. And we're at least going to go for it. You know, we, all of our other dreams seem to be coming true. Why not put this out there and see if that happens too? And that's how all of those Don't Be Crews and Poisons and my, well, you know, we have Johnny was already doing his thing, but we well, were. Well, let's not, let's not forget Sensitivity. And that, Sensitivity, that was that's a, right. Bruh, first, first single right there for a solo. Yeah, man. Yeah, you just knocked it out the park. That must have felt good. It was, especially coming behind those guys. They had already released this stuff. And I was supposed to have been the one who, as the lead singer, they expected to go solo and want to go do their own thing. But I had no dreams of doing my own thing. I was having just, I was having minds and getting minds off just being a new addition. I was cool being that and playing my role in that. I never really thought about doing a solo album. I wanted to write and produce and stuff for other artists and things like that and expand that way, which I, you know, I still write and produce. I got, I got all kinds of songs and I've co-written stuff and for a lot of people that are more behind the scenes with it. But that was more my thing instead of doing an album and getting out there. But once I saw these guys doing it and then they was offering me the opportunity to do my own project, it's like, well, you know, I know how many people dream of doing this and why should I look a gift horse in the mouth, you know? It's like you, you're shunning God or something. It's like, I got to go and go for it. So sensitivity album came out of that one. 
Well, and and it was a as a massive hit. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I always lived. You know, one of my oh, favorites. We killed the game, baby. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. You, you, there's there's never been a story. Even the Jacksons don't have this story because no. it was one out of the Jacksons, not all of the Jacksons. Is some you know parlaying into other other projects, but yeah. uh, do what I gotta do. Stone mm-hmm. Cold Gentleman. Yeah. Uh, Jam and Lewis was in their bag on that album, and you had a platinum solo album, which is you know listen. I was a double, it was two and a half million, so, you know, I didn't sell as many as the rest of the guys, but I was on a different plane with it, you know? My thing is, this new edition sound was the Ralph Tresvan sound, so trying to do a new album and sound unique and different and give them something else was hard to do because I'm doing all the backgrounds and I mean, part of the backgrounds and I'm doing the lead with new edition, so when I did the same formula as me, you know, just my, by myself... I just started noticing it sounding a lot like a new edition record. So how do I play, how do I flip this? And that became the topics, what I sung about. And that's what made the difference to me. But yeah, man, we all went out there, was doing multi-plotting records individually and we were able to come back and continue doing the new edition formula and that's all because of you guys man that's all because of the fans they've been they've been supporting everything we've done since day one and, and thank y'all for that i really appreciate it and then you had fat joe sample uh do what i gotta do how about did, that did you, did you get that check for that did you say yo joe cut that check i see some here and there well you know it's like i see it after the fact i don't get that first <laughs> one. i don't get a part of that first one but, but that yeah. feels good like with somebody like years later they bring your song back Exactly. I'm going to tell you the biggest one that I saw a check from, though, went as far as a sample was Little Bow Wow. How'd you know that? <laughs> Him and Sierra did Like You. They, they did Leaving You Again on the album, which I actually wrote that song. So wow. this time it's like I went in and it was like five other producers and one of them plays Universal Studios or something. Saying, Man, we got some money up here for you. I was like, really? They said, how much you got? You know, and they told me how much. I said, I'll be right down there, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming to get it. <laughs> so fast forward um, into in the last two years, mm-hmm. you guys had the movie come out and, and it was great to tell your story so we could all feel a lot closer mm-hmm. to, uh, to New Edition. And again, we all in the black community are tethered to New Edition. It's just, you're just a part of us, everybody. I don't care who you are in any family, there's a New Edition connection somewhere with, with one, of the, one of the entities. Mm-hmm. You guys come together to do a massive tour last year and then you came back again this year but it was I've seen you all a million times but this particular time was wow like just the production just I mean you were like rock gods man like just watching you all on stage every night and the, the changing of the uh, the clothes and the sets and the, the backdrop and I actually I saw it in D.C., the the one last year, mm-hmm. and I, I mean, I was excited because I was like, oh, man, it's great. We're going to see New Edition or whatever, and you'll see all the different parts, but you guys just blew me away with just every aspect of the show. So talk a little bit about coming back together, everybody, including Bobby, to do these shows and what they have meant for you all the last two years to tour the country. First of all, we didn't know, just like the public didn't know whether we were ever going to do it again or not. And it's one of those things that... Everybody's kind of getting older, getting set in their own ways and doing their own things away from it, just etching themselves and how they're going to feed and take care of their families away from, you know, something more steady, just doing some more steady things. So we didn't know what was going to go on. We had a little bit of internal stuff going on, so we didn't know. This is why the record Can You Stand the Rain exists. 
we sit around and try to figure out ways to, to, to weather the storms and see, well, can we do this again? Is it going to make sense? Do the people really want to see that? And that's when you start getting back into it. You start hearing people saying, when y'all going to do something, man? Y'all got to stop playing. You're hearing people, start, like our fans get mad. You know, I'm tired of seeing y'all by yourselves, man. I see you and Johnny all the time. And they say, when y'all going to all do something? And when you start hearing that, you feel like, okay, this might be, it's really a good setup time for us to do something together. They really want to see us back together. Can we do it? And can we do it with quality? Becomes the next thing. You know, how much money can we put into it? Do we have people behind us backing it properly, behind the scenes to make it what we want it? You know, what we know everybody want to see. And when we got all of those things lined up, it made sense. So once we got all that together, said, all right, we got old Brooke Payne back together. We got in there and we... We, we dust these old feet and legs off, and we did it, man. You know, it was one it, coming out of um, COVID is when we did the legacy tour. I mean, the culture tour, and that's why we named it the culture tour. It was for the culture. It was more or less for the people who had been calling for us to do it again. And the fans have been following us since day one. So when we got in this, when we got in the studio, and it's all six of us, and we're back in there rehearsing, and we're trying to pick out the type of outfits and the look, and we felt like. We can, you can tell you got it. It's like, okay, this is it. New Edition has a way of working this, working out that we can tell we can tell we're back in shape or it's ready to go before we leave, you know, or we we won't go out. We keep pushing it back, keep pushing it back until everybody's ready. And um, when the legacy, when the culture tour, I keep saying legacy because that's just, we just fresh off that tour. But when we did the culture tour, we kind of knew everybody was, we were all hungry to be back out there again. We were missing it. We didn't really getting as much work as individuals as we used to get. When we can all work and do things, but the level that this was coming at us at, we hadn't worked on that level in a while. So we were anxious to be back in arenas. And we called up Uncle Charlie, we called Jodeci, and we were able to get them back in the game. They were ready to reunite. And it felt like we can do something special for the culture where everybody is you know the different genres and age brackets will all be in the same room and be able to enjoy something that we all been kind of tucked away from because of COVID not knowing we were going to be able to do it again or not even from that perspective let alone not just the internal stuff but just from they shut the buildings down and arenas we couldn't move so coming out of that having the opportunity to bring it back we were all excited and that's what you saw on stage that excitement to be back out there and being appreciated by everybody McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Yeah, and it was almost like a throwback to what we used to see with big shows like the Budweiser right. Superfest. Right. It was that, that energy. So you decided to grab another job because you just like the work, <laughs> I see. And, you know, we... Here at the company, Reach Media, you know, we uh, were looking for someone to host uh, one of our shows, a syndicated radio show, and you were kind of doing your own thing. And we uh, sat with you and uh, we came to an agreement for you to do the Love and R&B show, which is um, in about 12 markets now. But 
We're going to grow it beyond that. You are a, a nationally syndicated radio host now. How about that? How about that? You know, since I was a little boy, I dreamt of doing that, man. I've been wanting to be, before, I've never dreamt of being a recording artist, a singer and all that, but I did dream of being a radio DJ. I wanted to do that watching Sonny Joe White. I told you about this recently. And Elroy Smith, Skeeter, these guys that used to come through the radios when I was a little boy, I wanted to mimic them. That's who my heroes was. I was like, those are the guys who's introducing me to Stevie Wonder and Smokey Robinson and Michael Jackson. I get to hear, it's like, it's like they were in control of the major artists. So I wanted to be in that seat coming up. And now, here I am, years later. It took a long time. You know, you're talking about from me dreaming as a little boy. He used to call me, <laughs> my, my mentor, I'm Brian Cropper, may he rest in heaven, man. You know, he used to take me around his parties with him and DJ. I'd watch him DJ and every now and then he'll let me mess around and do a little something, right? Because he would show me something to do. He would do it in front of the crowd. But he had, I had this nickname called Little DJ Iron Crates. Yeah, see, y'all that same age. Y'all know when them crates was iron back in the days. You, yep. yeah, you have to be in shape to Backbreakers. get to the party. Yeah, be in shape to get to the party. Yeah, that was what this was. So coming up, I always wanted to, you know, elaborate on you know, and be iron. I want to do my DJ iron crate thing, man. So that's when you you heard about the um, the inside the ride joint I used to do, and I put that together on my own. I worked it for about for about three years, just on the strength. I would four four hours a day just. Doing it on my own on the internet in this place out of Boston, a station in Boston. It was very local. And just getting it in, just trying to get my feet wet. And maybe this is a way to get somebody to see me. Or this is a part of paying the dues as a, you know, as a DJ to get, get to that point and let people see I'm serious about it. But when I got this call, I was ecstatic. And I knew that I was going to try to, you know, I couldn't turn it down. That's number one. But I want to do something special with the slot, too. I don't want to just sit here and I don't want to be one of those things that just follow, you know, follows into the same old thing that's going on in the nighttime slot that it's in. Yep. Try to get creative and try to find out, make it fun and make it interesting and bring that iron craze, bring that new addition fan base, bring my fan base to that slot and see what we can do to really make some noise during that, man, because... I'm serious about it. I really want to I really want to be a DJ man you know, still have, don't keep waiting for me to sing Sensitivity forever I'm going to get old one day <laughs> I got to do something else man and this was one of my fallbacks if I can do something like this you know I'll always be able to sing and tour as long as this is holding up and my body's holding up God willing but being able to be able to sit home and still know that the lights are not going to get cut off that would, I mean you know just do what I do as a DJ and, and and live out that part of my dreams, man. I think that that I'm, I'm starting it right now, man. I appreciate y'all reaching out to me. Yeah, yeah well. well, the Love and R&B program. If it's not in your market, you need to call that radio station and tell them y'all need to get the Ralph Tresvant Love yeah. and R&B show on, on your man. dial. That's right. So we're on in uh, Washington D.C. and Baltimore and Richmond and mm -hmm. Raleigh and um, a lot of a lot of markets. Dallas, um, Cincinnati, so Cincinnati, mm -hmm. yeah, Cleveland, um, Columbus. So there's a lot of places. Indianapolis. I, I keep naming all yeah, these different they, places, but they coming. Yeah. They, yeah. So you know, you all need to really. Um, 
you know, call your stations and tell them to get the Ralph Tresman show. So, man, I just want to thank you because this is um, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, and again, you are American history and uh, we are just so proud of you because what you all have done in musically, but just from a culture perspective, mm-hmm. will live on way past all of us. So, you know, thank you for the legacy of, of New Edition and uh, thank you for just, you know, sharing of yourself and being able to tell the story of how all this came about. A lot of times we don't know that. And uh, it's great that you came on the cruise so that people could see you, touch you, connect with you. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, we just appreciate you, man. Listen, man, the pleasure's been mine. It really has all these years. And thank you guys for having me all these years. I'm not. Ralph Tretzman. My God. Coming up on the next Backstory Podcast. For a lot of us, it was our, our first movie or very early in our careers. Mm-hmm. Man, we, we rooted for each other. Like, we would come uh, on days we wasn't even shooting. We would come down to the set, and let's say, you know, Martin was doing a, a scene. And then in between takes, he'd go and say, yo, 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 say it like this, say it like this, or try this, try this. Because, you know what I mean? It, 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 it wasn't just a kid and play movie. We was at the top. The but Yeah, yeah we want everybody to well. do good. The Backstory Podcast with Colby Cole is an Urban One Incorporated Reach Media Pod is Good production, hosted and executive produced by yours truly, Colby Cole, edited by Donkus. Follow us on Twitter at BackstoryPCC. On Instagram, get the backstory. For sales and corporate partnerships, Josh Romani and Michelle Marino. Digital marketing, Walter Gaynor, J.R. Smith, and Tim Hall. Thanks again for listening to the Backstory Podcast.